Blog Talk Radio. Guys, welcome to another sports tonight. Um, thank you, guys, for dedication for us tonight. Yeah, Tommy. Uh, unfortunately, this last week uh, we had two officer down calls go out. One in Hillsborough County. Uh, the gentleman walked in to 
uh, helped somebody out who had a signal 20. They were going to try and take him to the hospital to get him some help. The guy opened fire on him. He hit him in the leg and the arm. So uh, Bill Wilson of the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, I always send you your best wishes out there. Um, and then, of course, uh, that tragedy, um, a young man, 29 years old, uh, left his uh, mother and his uh, fiance at the caterers on Friday afternoon, picking out the cake for their wedding next Saturday. I went on duty, and uh, that was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh. By 7 o'clock in the evening, he was uh, lying dead on the uh, on the uh, tarmac, on the, the road at, up in Nassau County. So our, our deepest uh, sympathies go out to the family of Josh Moyer. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Frank. Sad day. Very sad. Very sad. That's why we do this show, to honor the policemen, officers, and firemen and military to do this show. So that they're in their prayers, they're in a better spot than we are, and and the show must go on, guys. Mm -hmm. We're all here. Better spot than we are, Frank, so... Mm-hmm. What about the Eagles on Monday night, Roger? And Frank, that was disgusting. I think um, um, I, I did not like the midnight call from uh, my friend Benny, the first call that he's made in uh, a number of years, uh, to say that mm-hmm. how well they did. Um, but um, i got to say that, number one, I don't think that uh, the, the new coaches' schemes are working out. And number two, Jalen Hurst looked like a a, 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 a pop Warner um, for some reason, <laughs> yeah. pop Warner quarterback. Uh, the line didn't do anything. It, they just they're in real trouble. Yeah, exactly. Even, one time they yeah one time they thought they'd be three and nine. They're not even going to be three and nine. Well, you bet you might be against the Lions in October. Mhm. Yep. It's just, it's just so sad. But the pregame guys, all oh, was is, all oh, wasn't Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, and the cowgirls and the cowgirls. I watched that and I, I was totally disgusted. I didn't turn it off. Well, you know, Tommy, did you watch uh, the um, the Mannings, Peyton, and Eli on ESPN two? No, I didn't watch that. No. No. I'm sorry. I didn't watch that, Roger. Watch the pregame. It's so disgusting. How great a yeah, quarterback well, the Cubs is having. No, it's just ridiculous. Well, yeah. Uh, well, you know, the America's team, okay? But here, mm-hmm. here, here, and I, Frank, did you get the chance to watch uh, Peyton and, and Eli? I saw the sleep. Okay. Yeah. I, I, yes. I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch. Uh, I didn't watch the main broadcast at all. I watched the entire game with them, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it can be a little distracting. I agree with that, but I will tell you, you get more out of that than you do on the regular broadcast. Mm-hmm. The, the reason yeah. I say that is what they did was the first quarter they had Matthew Stafford on for a while. The, mm-hmm. uh, the second quarter. Uh, they went to um, uh, oh LeBron James. I had no idea uh, until that night uh, how great a player LeBron was, and you guys probably know, uh, you know, in, in high school. And it, when the NBA uh, had the uh, work stoppage, 
uh, it was the Raiders and the Cowboys that wanted him to be a tight end. And, uh, you know, Peyton said, man, if he, you were a tight end uh, with the Colts, I could have had 70 touchdown passes, you know, right. and, well, just throw it up. And then they had Nick Saban on, uh, who was very insightful about uh, J- uh, Jalen Hurts. And, uh, you know, we know that he left and went to Oklahoma, but that was a joint decision of Nick Saban and Jalen Hurts because he has nothing but the utmost respect for him. And he said that what happened was that Hurts talked to the coach and he uh, told him because he had a year of eligibility left. And he told him who uh, were the teams that were offering him uh, scholarships to go. And he said, "Who? Ha- which team has the best players? And, and Hurts said, Oklahoma. And that's when Saban said he told him, then go to Oklahoma. So, I, you know, I never knew that before, that, the, you know, that uh, Saban was involved in this decision-making. And then they had Chris Long on, former Eagle, former Patriot, uh, uh, Howie's son. They had him on. He's hilarious. Uh, he's got a uh, he's got a future in comedy if he wants it, and I think he's done some movies. So I just I learned so much more. And then um, they had Archie on there because of Eli going into the Giants Ring of Honor, having his number retired. So he and Olivia were up at uh, uh, you know for the, on the festivities on Sunday, and it was funny because uh, Peyton said he said oh he says when uh, Dad and mom visit me. I put him up in the hotel because he owns a hotel. And Eli says, uh, well, they like staying with us in our house. And then uh, <laughs> Archie said, uh, Archie said to Peyton, your mother says, get a clean shirt because he was perspiring <laughs> so much. <laughs> so, I mean, it was it was so down to earth. You know, like you're you're just sitting in the in the in a family room with them, okay? But you're getting so much, you know. And uh, I just I thought it was I I've learned a lot. Let's put it that way. And I don't know, you know, when Ray comes on, I don't know whether he's ever uh, you know has a chance to see them at all. But I'm anxious to find out. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's that's my take. Let's put it that way. As we're joined by Mike Sinzak. Mike, how are you doing tonight? The great Mike Sinzak. Hey, gentlemen, how are you doing? I know I'm pulling a slightly earlier shift than I normally do. Yes, sir. But so there's well, a per diem on that, Mike. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's a per diem on that. You get uh, three, to three weeks uh, vacation at Tommy's uh, illustrious place up in Hernando Oaks. Oh, okay. Well, 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 I may take you up on that at some point. Good. (laughs) How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, Roger. How are you doing this evening? Good, good, good. We uh, uh, we were just talking about uh, Monday night's fiasco uh, with the uh, Eagles and uh, and the the Cowboys. And, uh, Tommy, go ahead. You – uh, you know, you're upset about the pregame with everything for the Cowboys. But, you know, we have to learn by now that that's the way it is, as uh, Walter Cronkite would say. Roger, I have decided that I'm going to take page from 
I did not watch it. Ergo, it did not happen. Ah. Well, there you go. You're smart. You're smart. Yes. So I don't believe it happened. It never existed. Um, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, that game never happened. Mm-hmm. Well, it had well happened you know, go ahead, Tommy. It happened, uh, you know, Mike, about Monday Night Football, America's team, Zach Prescott, the Chilonic Dallas Cowboys breaking Eagles' bones in the 60s and 70s. You know, I don't want to watch that stuff. That's the past. So that's the only thing they can come up with. They can come up with to say they're America's team. I don't give a crap about the cowgirls or anything else that way. Yeah, meanwhile, um, I'm going to totally change subjects because I can. How about the U.S. Ryder Cup? <laughs> yep, go for it. Now, why am I going to talk about uh, – why, why on earth would I, uh, I spend any more time ruminating on that debacle that happened on Monday night? Mm-hmm. I choose to believe that it didn't exist, and I'm going with that. There you go. Well, I I think that's not that's not a bad uh, thought, Mike. Um, you know, well, let's talk about the the Washington football team, okay? In in your Bailiwick, Wick, uh, they're coming up. Uh, I think they play the Falcons this week, don't they? They do play the Falcons. So uh, last week against the uh, Bills was everything that I told you that it was going to be last week. And probably a little bit worse. Um, you give defensive coordinators a little bit of time to watch film. They're going to start to figure out if you have any tendencies. We saw the limitations that Taylor Heineke has. Um, mm-hmm. If you put enough pressure on him, he's going to start making bad decisions. He got caught in between um, multiple thought processes, whether to run or pass and he started overthinking things. He stared down receivers. um, And all the limitations that he had came out in that game. You add on to that the fact that the Washington uh, um, defense that we thought was going to be a strength of the team through three games has been anything but. And uh, it was a recipe for a blowout, such as it was. And just like the birds, they gave up over 40 points. And so they're going to try and regroup against the Falcons. And it's going to be interesting to see, again, um, what the Washington defense, which has been their Achilles heel, all up and down. I mean, just front to back, that defense hasn't put in a complete performance in Jack Del Rio's ability to get them to to rebound is going to be a big test. Can he get into that locker room this week and get these guys to play like a fraction of what we thought they were? Chase Young was talking at the beginning of the season uh, with Montez Sweat about setting a tandem sack record. And Chase Young, through three games, has nary a quarterback, a quarterback. So they're going to need to figure this out if they're going to make a challenge to anybody in the NFC East and, and, and try and make the playoffs. Well, 
it's it's amazing they what they was thought to be their strength uh, you alluded to the the uh, especially that defensive line has not produced like expected and uh do you think they just were taking things uh for granted that they would just handle everything or you think there are some issues there um i think it's an issue of development and maturity. And when I say maturity, I'm not saying like these guys aren't working, that they're not trying, that there's a bunch of off. What I'm saying is that, you know, the oldest among them are in their third year, and that's Jonathan Allen. And they're being asked to do things that they haven't been able to, that they haven't been forced to do in the past. You know, when you, I always like to say, when you get to the NFL, you'll never play again against a guy who was riding a yellow bus to school the year before. You know, these are pros. Mm-hmm. And with two, a year, two, three years of tape, and these offensive line coordinators get paid to study what these guys do, they're starting to figure out how they react. And let's just take the ends in Chase Young and Montez Sweat they started to figure out what these guys' tendencies are, and they are just not able to outmuscle and throw guys to the side like they were in college. So that maturity and that development to see, all right, I need to develop these techniques to be successful, uh, that's where they are right now. So there's a little bit of – I wouldn't say it's it's a problem. I just think it's a little bit of a plateau and a learning curve. Just takes time to uh, develop. Yeah, and not everybody develops on a straight upward trajectory. Um, so I think you know I think they can still come good. There's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of athleticism there. They just need to match the athleticism with the technique. What do you think that next year, the next draft, do you think that they will, uh, would they maybe make a deal to move up? Because they probably won't be in the top uh, five to ten to get a quarterback for the future. if, If there is somebody that they like, they'll make a move. But what Ron Rivera has always preached is he wants uh, he wants value. He wants to make sure if I'm going to give up, if I'm going to trade up, I'm getting the player that I want. Um, when they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, he wasn't their first choice. They did offer a lot to get Stafford uh, in. It was just that the Rams offered more. So, I think if the right player, Ron Rivera is convinced to be his guy, is there, then yeah, they'll make the move. If he feels like it's going to cost and he's reaching or he's not going to get somebody who he wants, then they'll they'll look for another stopgap. What they, what he's been preaching is, you know, we get the players that we want when we can get them. We're not going to reach. We're not going to um, 
grasp at straws. We're not going to go out and look at um, magic beans. We're going to get a player in who we know is going to be the guy that we want. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you Mike, Mike uh, Matt Stafford went to a far superior team than the uh, Washington football team, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. That's the funny thing. I, I, well, right now, off the strength of it, yeah, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't argue with that. If we had been going into the season on paper, I would have said, like, you look at what the, the, the Washington Football Team has, where they're coming from last year, some of the tools that they have, the expectation that the defense was going to perform a lot better than it actually has through the first three games. Uh, I would have said that. You know, if you put Matt Stafford, if you put Aaron Rodgers on this team, then that's an NFC East champion, um, you know, second round of the playoff caliber team. What we're finding out now is that there may or may not be a couple of holes, and I'm going to go with May, that we weren't aware of. So what's really going to be interesting after this season is do they make that move? Do they say, all right, we know for a fact that Aaron Rodgers is not going to be in Green Bay. Do they back up the Brinks truck and say, Aaron, come in, we think we've got it? Or do they say, all right, we need another draft or two before we think quarterback is our missing link? Well, uh, yeah, I, I would go along with that philosophy. But I'll tell you, you know, when you talk about moving up in the draft, look at what the Eagles did to get Carson Wentz. And uh, what, after four years, he's gone for a lot of reasons. And then Goff went first in that draft, and he's gone from the Rams. And so, you know, you move up and you you pay all kinds of – draft picks and, and everything else, capital, so to speak. And, you know, your, the best laid plans of mice and men sometimes don't work out. And there's two perfect the funny examples. Thing, Roger, is number one and number two. You, if I'd asked you, what was it, three year, two, three years ago? Yeah, three, when, yeah. three years ago. Mm-hmm. If I'd asked you if the Eagles made the right move in, in moving up against Carson Wentz, I think all of us would have said completely yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the you same know, with uh, golf. And the same with yeah. golf, Mike. You know, if I asked the Rams two years ago if they'd made the right move, they would say yes. You right. can't predict diesel people. They're not cards. You know, you can't predict how people are going to react. When the Redskins and, and injuries, the you draft, can't predict injuries. Yeah, and you can't predict those things. You can do the best you can, but you can't 100% predict them. When the Redskins moved up to draft uh, Robert Griffin third, when he was coming out of Baylor, I said, all right, next to Andrew Luck, I think this guy has the highest ceiling. He's a ridiculous athlete. He's incredibly accurate. You know, how he played that last season at Baylor, uh, I think that they made the absolute right move. They did. They put him in the formations. Mike Shanahan worked with him. And they made the playoffs this rookie year. 
You know, right. the injuries happen. We can't predict how he's going to react to the injuries, how he's going to recover, what his work ethic, what his thought process is going to be. And now he's out of the league asking the Redskins, you know, if you need somebody, I'm available. Mm-hmm. Well, much you, you know, I think that drafting a is an exact science. It's a total crapshoot. Uh, exactly right. You're right. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, the other night during the game and after the game, but we were talking about uh, quarterbacks. And I said, uh, and, and I agree with him, you really can't tell. But, you know, I was fortunate to do uh, a number of Deshaun Watson's uh, games uh, early on and in high school. You could tell that he was a, a, a just a special, a special talent. And, you know, and that, that's unusual. And obviously he went to Clemson and, and he's had other issues. Uh, since then, but but has been an outstanding pro quarterback. But you're right. You you just you never know. You know. Deshaun Watson is a perfect case in point. You know, anybody would have thrown the kitchen sink prior to the allegations against Deshaun Watson uh, coming out. You know, all the talk on Washington talk radio was what would you give up and basically the consensus was we would give up anybody on this roster not named chase young jonathan allen or terry mclaurin Mm -hmm. and then these then the allegations came out and you couldn't you couldn't pay a team enough right now to trade for deshaun watson well, they don't know, know what's, what's going to happen. Gonna happen. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the unknown. Yeah. And, that, that, and so here's the thing where we know we have a supremely talented quarterback keep great, but the off-field stuff and the unknown as a result of the off-field stuff is what's going to keep him from having any sort of And I'm fine with that. Like, you know, let him, his time in court play out, but if – that is true, then he doesn't need to be representing the, the, the NFL, and he's going to have to wait for this to come out and be adjudicated. Right. Yeah. Tommy? Can you do us a national football league to find out what's going on in the first eight weeks of the season? Who's there? Who's not there? Okay. We can't hear Tommy. Okay, I thought I was the only one. He's on. No, no. Roger, I, before I forget, ahead, I, I do want to talk a little bit about soccer because yeah, um, I'm glad you did. Yeah, the you know remember, because it was uh, interesting. Two happened yesterday. Uh, one of the biggest upsets that you're ever going to see in professional club soccer happened. Uh, it is the equivalent of Chaminade and their historic win over Houston and Five Slam Majama. It's um, UNBC beating uh, Virginia and the 16-1 thing. But in that occasion, I also found Frank's new favorite soccer team. 
Etsy Sheriff. They beat live. Uh, they beat uh, the 13-time European champions yesterday at, in uh, uh, Real Madrid. They beat okay. FC Sheriff, who's a small team from Moldova, who plays in an unrecognized state in Moldova, and has only been a team since 1996. Went into Madrid and beat the 13-time European champions, Real Madrid, at home in the first home game that they've played in the European Championship in 580 days. Well, and listen, Frank, you'll be happy to know that the club badge is actually a sheriff's star. That's right. Well, you know, the uh, we appreciate you coming on early. Uh, right. You know, with Roy had a funeral to go to, and uh, Don's going to be with us. And uh, but uh, we appreciate it. You have a great week. I wanted to talk to you because the Union beat the uh, United. Saturday night, one something, and uh, so we'll, we'll talk about uh, more soccer next week. Take care, All right, Mike. Gentlemen, it was week. great to talk to you, and you guys have a good week, and I'll catch up with you later. Okay, terrific. Thank you. Okay, Take care. Uh, Mr. Henderson, Roger. Yeah, it's Roger. Yes, Roger. We just got a telecommunication from outer space that the gentleman that owns all four of the uh, rockets, uh, Mr. Henderson, has now arrived at his launch pad. <laughs> oh, well, he ha- he's there. <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry I'm well, a little Don. bit late tonight, but I wouldn't miss our next guest because he's somebody we've known for a long, long time and worked with the Phillies for such a long period of time and then moved over to the American League and the Cleveland Indians and retired two years ago as one of the executive vice presidents of the, of the Cleveland Indians and Danny Lehman, we, we just wanted to have you on and, and talk a little bit about baseball, but also a very unique uh, topic that you're very much involved with. First of all, welcome to the show. Thank you, Don. Nice to hear from you again. Uh, it was a good catching up with you last week when we first connected. We hadn't seen each other in probably 30 years, I guess. So it was a good I, I'd, say, I'd say you're very close to 30 years being correct. And uh, the reason that uh, I called Danny and, and tried to, Renew our acquaintanceship was that I was watching Larry Bow and Bill Giles, uh, former president of the Philadelphia Phillies and one of the uh, real uh, organizers of the Phillies, and uh, Denny worked for the Phillies at that time, and they were doing a, a little piece on the show about the Philly fanatic, and uh, uh, Bill Giles gave all the accolades to Denny Lehman, and I said, well, geez, let me get him on the phone and uh, it's a sort of a different kind of sports story, a sidebar, but I thought it'd be very interesting for the people to uh, to listen to how this all came about. And then uh, you really started it all with Bill Giles and with Rudy Carpenter by going to San Diego. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, thank you, Don. Thank you for the compliment. But there were a lot of uh, people that were involved in all this. But uh, uh, Larry Shank, who is the uh, was the uh, retired uh, vice president of uh, public relations for the Phillies, and I worked together uh, as a college uh, student at LaSalle. And uh, he uh, he gave me the assignment to uh, operate the scoreboard at Veterans Stadium after we moved uh, from County Mac. So <laughs> after about five or six years of um, operating the scoreboard, um, I was getting a little uh, uh, sort of tired of uh, – 
clapping hands and charges and things like that. And Larry and Larry and Wheels had sent me on the road to sort of uh, substitute uh, and give uh, Wheels a breather or Larry a breather when uh, they had an advanced team that had to go on the road with uh, the team. So uh, I, in a rare a rare opportunity to go to the West Coast, which usually I didn't get. I was usually uh, I usually had Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis most of the time. Uh, I did I did see in the, from the press box and watch the uh, San Diego Chicken operate at, uh, at the, I guess it was Jack Murphy Stadium at the time, and uh, it was amazing to me to see the crowd. Uh, react to it, but more importantly, I, I watched the players how they reacted to it, and uh, I think they got a, as big a kick out of it as the fans did to kind of watch his shenanigans uh, throughout the, uh, the the ballpark. And he was just a uh, he was very unique, uh, creative, a little um, off color at times, uh, but always lots of energy. I mean, he was everywhere in the ballpark. So when I returned, I said to Larry and Bill because we had the we had these Tuesday morning staff meetings uh, with the business staff every day, uh, every Tuesday at uh, Veteran Stadium, and I mentioned that you know I think to sort of freshen up uh, the entertainment here uh, at the ballpark for for maybe next year, we ought to be looking at maybe coming up with some sort of lively character uh, like uh, the San Diego Chicken to sort of. Um, you know, engage the fans a little bit more because, uh, you know, the Phillies were pretty good back then, but, um, you know, we also played 81 games, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it, it just seemed like it was sort of a fun thing that if we could sort of tone down some of the antics, uh, we could make it very family-friendly, and it was just, a you know, part of the whole entertainment package that sort of was, was really part of Bill's uh, mantra in trying to generate attendance, uh, you know, at uh, Veterans Stadium. So, uh, Bill gave the wink and the nod to Frank Sullivan, who was the director of promotions, and told Frank to go talk to Jim Henson. Uh, Frank called Jim Henson and said, I'm too busy. Why don't you talk to uh, one of my designers, uh, Bonnie Erickson? So he called Bonnie and <clears throat> Bonnie and uh, and her staff uh, made some uh, sketches and drawings, and we started to uh, develop this um, you know, this character over the winter, I guess, of uh, 78, I guess, is probably the year, uh, my recollection. And um, so, they, you know, as we sort of went through all this, uh, there really wasn't, you know, a tremendous amount of uh, uh, scripting going on. It was just a matter of trying to come up with something that was uh, fuzzy and friendly and kind of fun. And that uh, if he was a, a member of the Muppet family, we felt it was pretty safe in its design and, and its um, its ability to move. But then so, let me uh, interrupt you for one second yeah. because you really had yeah. to sell Ruley and also Bill, I guess, to a certain degree, even though he was a promotion specialist. Uh, they didn't jump at the idea when you first came back and said, this is something we ought to think about. Well, I, I think, you know, I think Bill was a little more uh, amenable to it. I think when he went to, and I wasn't, I wasn't uh, privy as a pretty junior guy, uh, the conversation that Bill had with Ruley, but I think really uh, listened, uh, but he also had a, uh, <laughs> he also would shake his head about Bill. You know, Bill would come up with some crazy stuff and uh, <laughs> really would just kind of shrug his shoulders and roll his eyes and, and walk away. So it wasn't like, um, I, I, I don't think he signed off initially, but I think he allowed Bill to at least have the flexibility to spend a few dollars to do some design development for uh, this costume. So, 
Um, I think he was. I think he was a little anxious about it. He was also a you know a baseball purist who, likewise, was not particularly bought into a lot of the things that went on um, at the ballpark. But at the same time, he also knew that Bill needed a lot of rope and gave it to him, and and uh, he had that, that flexibility to you know let him do his thing, which you know Bill was very good at. So, uh, so I, I I think we started seeing the uh, costume walk into Veterans Stadium. I know that. Uh, Frank and David Raymond, who was our uh, intern at the time, uh, and Chris Legault, who uh, also worked for uh, for Frank, went to uh, went up to see the uh, costume and get it fitted uh, at uh, Bonnie Erickson's uh, workshop, and that's when things started to really sort of uh, glue together. Uh, David was uh, in the in the promotions department for a couple of years. So we all kind of knew his uh, personality and it was big and he was very athletic um, and uh, quite a character and uh, and had a great sense of humor, but we really didn't, we were really kind of rolling the dice as to whether or not he was the right guy for it because uh, outside of the fact he was, he was fun, energetic and uh, you know, willing to do crazy stuff. We really weren't sure what we were getting. But uh, once he once he slipped the uh, costume on and was completed, he uh, immediately went into uh, this character that I think all of us were pleasantly surprised that he had a good sense of what he looked like in the in the costume and, and his athletic ability enabled him to move around very quickly and uh, he adapted well to the shoes, and, uh, the, uh, the the outfit, the, the, the weight of it. Uh, and so forth. So I think, you know, without really having a whole lot of um, background in, in mascot performance, he, uh, he did a fabulous job. And, uh, and that kind of grew, grew from there. And you could also say, uh, just for folks listening around the country, uh, we're talking about the Philly Fanatic and the creation of the Philly Fanatic and what it means today. But uh, when you talked about him, uh, he was also the son of Tubby Raymond who was one of the great football coaches uh, in the Delaware Valley at Delaware uh, University and the University of Delaware. And uh, so he, as you mentioned, was very athletic, but he also uh, blended right in, uh, Danny, I would say. And as you indicated, he blended right into the costume, and he made it a unique personality within itself. Yes. He was uh, was the team punter for four years while he was at the University of Delaware. So, I mean, he – he was on the field and performing at the, at the varsity level. So he was, you know, he was, he was fit and strong and, and, uh, had good speed. Uh, and, uh, he would tell you that too. Uh, but the, <laughs> the thing that, that I, that I thought was interesting and I only knew this years later was that his mother, uh, had a, uh, I believe a degenerative, uh, uh, hearing problem and Correct. eventually he was deaf. lost her hearing. Yes. And, and David, and I never knew this until much, you know, well after uh, uh, he retired, but as he knew a sign and he could, uh, he could, uh, he could sign with his mom. So he had the ability to express himself in so many different ways with uh, lip reading and, uh, and uh, sign that uh, I really sort of helped him uh, become a, you know, a great character, which, uh, you know, again, is very serendipitous when you think about it, uh, that he had this complete package that, you know, some of us didn't even know he had, you know, half of it, which was uh, really quite remarkable. 
Well, before we get into the financial end of it, uh, let's get uh, Roger and, and, and Tommy in a little bit. Uh, Roger, uh, you grew up with the Fanatic, as we all did with the Phillies, and uh, it's probably the most unique, uh, other than Sesame Street, probably the most unique character in the world. Well, you're exactly right. You know, and Denny, congratulations on retirement and your success. Uh, and it seems like it wasn't that long ago, like when you were running the scoreboard and you were on the other side of the glass from the press box, okay, where <laughs> Mr. Henderson and we and I sat um, with Henry Clay and Skip Clayton. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of things. Number And Don and I were talking about this uh, last week. Isn't it ironic uh, the Harrison Erickson put together the Fanatic and talk about the economics because Don, uh, well, we know now there was a lawsuit. I don't know if it's settled or not. That's number one. But number two is there's only been really two main Fanatics, David Raymond and Tom Borgoli. And I think that that is fascinating, and in all those years that there's really only been two individuals that played the part. That that is uh, really amazing. You're absolutely right. I, I think uh, Tom Tom was a, a perfect fit. You know, being sort of a a, a, a understudy to David uh, back uh, in these, uh, I guess, in the late '90s, early '90s, maybe when he uh, slipped on the costume to uh, sort of back David up because his personal appearance schedule was uh, really enormous. Um, even when I was at the uh, with the Phillies. Uh, he was constantly out there. So he really needed some good backups, and Burgoyne was one of them. And when David stepped away, uh, you know, Burgoyne had the, uh, really had the the ability to sort of pick up where David left off. And I think in a lot of ways he's actually, um, he's really blossomed into, uh, you know, the second second wave of uh, ma- mascot performance because there's so many mascots that they sort of mimic uh, what the Phillies have done with the Fanatic, and certainly Tom's been kind of a leader in that. You know, as far as the the economics in the lawsuit, I I am not that familiar with uh, uh, the lawsuit itself, but I can tell you that uh, we had uh, had an agreement with Harrison Erickson for uh, the early years uh, where Bonnie was very instrumental in making sure that there was quality control uh, in the artwork and uh, the costume and so forth, which was very helpful. But then... um, I think that uh, the Phillies had arrived at a, um, a decision after, uh, you know, kind of scratching their head, realizing the popularity of the uh, Fanatic was such that it was probably something that went, um, it was a mark that needed to be protected by the team and by Major League Baseball, which it already had been. But I think they wanted to make sure that they uh, they had that control. Uh, they, they, they bought out the rights from uh, Harrison Erickson. And that's kind of the the extent of my knowledge of it. I know that there were a number of uh, dollars thrown around. I, I know that uh, Bill has it in his book, uh, and I guess they're right. I uh, but I wasn't you know involved in any of those conversations. So I, well, Bill uh, said on the TV know, show he's very blunt about it. Uh, yeah, because Larry Boa and Charlie asked him about it on the TV show. What about the fanatic? And uh, he said, Well, by the time we finally got it designed and organized. And uh, got it on the on the road. Uh, they offered us the rights for 200. I'm, I'm not sure of the exact number, but I think it was either 250 dollars or 350 dollars for the rights. And if they wanted the total rights to the package, it was 500 dollars. 
And Bill said, no, we'll go for the 350 or 250, whatever that lower number was, and we'll see what happens. And as Bill said, one of the best deals I've ever made, (laughs) to say the least, tongue-in-cheek. He said we wound up paying 250000 for it a few years later. So he yeah, always talked there, about there his, his business acumen. That yeah, wasn't right. one of his great moves. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think uh, I think we were a little late to the party, I guess is the way. But, you know, initially it was uh, – we were, we were kind of being cautious, and I think um, – I think everybody was at the time too, and I, you know, to Rulli's credit, I, you know, I think he rose the occasion when it was needed to. But I think at the time, I think he, you know, he was concerned this was going to be another you know, sort of flyer he didn't want to take, and and I, uh, you know, he put the brakes on it, to, you know, at least initially, and then, you know, I saw he saw the popularity obviously, and uh, realized that it was probably a better idea to to uh, buy it out. Well, I just thought people would know, really I- be. It. Go, go ahead, Roger. Yeah, I just want to, you know, uh, I took, with Don and I, when we started talking about the Fanatic last week, you know, uh, it came to me that when you made the move to the vet, you had Philadelphia Phil and Philadelphia Phyllis. And I always right. wondered when the Fanatic came came about, was there any consideration of, uh, you know, expanding Philadelphia Phil and Phyllis into more of a, uh, a comedy type of character like the fanatic? No, uh, no, not that, not that I know of. No, I think they were kind of. Uh, I don't know who dreamed that up. Whether it was the ad agency at the time that did that, but uh, you know they they were part of that home run spectacular in center field where we had uh, you know the, the the I think Phil was swinging the bat and Phyllis was throwing the pitch and and then there was a cannon in the middle and uh, they were animated. Uh, and they worked for a couple of years, but you know they they didn't hold up well uh, over time oh, mm-hmm. because uh, if you remember, Veterans Stadium had to be converted to uh, Eagles football on uh, you know in the fall, so Phil and right. Phyllis had to be dismantled every uh, every year, and I think that and um, the fact that they just kind of uh, you know didn't hold up well after about I'm I'm going to guess three or four seasons. That was kind of the end of the home run spectacular. It was kind of done. But, well, before uh, we switch over, uh, Denny, to a little bit of your your ideas, first of all, a long time with the uh, Phillies and the National League, and then going over to the American League, and it was really quite a difference between the two leagues. But before we do that, uh, for a lot of folks that are listening around the country that aren't familiar with Veterans Stadium, uh, I, I think when we talk about uh, how the fanatic, he was able to walk, there was a, sort of a walkway in front of the press box and went all the way around. And you were talking about the athletic ability uh, that he was able to do with this big costume. Uh, he could walk all the way around out over the fans on this, this ledge. And, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he was really an amazing, amazing talent. Uh, the way, of course, today you don't have it with the Citizens Bank Park. But at Veterans Stadium, this was a unique part of the stadium. And he could just walk all the way around. And one minute he'd be in right field, next minute he'd be in left field, or he'd walk in front of the press box. He could do anything. Yeah. You know, he he had access to the whole building, and we had uh, you know a couple of um, uh, I, we used to call them uh, uh, fanatic bodyguards. But uh, uh, the one bodyguard was uh, Marilyn Deschardins, and she she was kind of his uh, keeper to kind of uh, make sure he didn't trip on something or step on a. Uh, a fan or what have you, because his his range of vision was difficult, especially when he would get swamped. 
uh, by fans. So Maryland was really good about uh, kind of keeping, holding his hand initially and kind of keeping him uh, away from, you know, tripping and falling and so forth. Right. So, but he, he was quite a daredevil. I will say that I, I a lot of times uh, I was surprised at some of the antics he did. And of course he, he got the, uh, when he got the ATV that, that, that sort of changed his whole act. You know, he, right. he, uh, you know, he jumped on the ATV and he was like an acrobat. And I think fans, uh, I don't know whether uh, Burgoyne does this anymore, but I know <laughs> the fanatic used to have this routine where he would uh, get a, uh, a batting, a plastic batting helmet um, that was sold in the, uh, the team shop. And uh, if there was a certain team, or especially the Dodgers, of course, who were our arch rivals, he would take uh, the home plate tamper that the ground crew used, and he would uh, set this up where he would take he would take the uh, the batting helmet, and he would uh, you know have the crowd sort of cheer like a, like a, a like at the Coliseum in Rome, whether or not he should smash the helmet or not. And um, it was really a, it was it was really a fun routine because I think everybody just got a kick out of it, uh, except for Tommy Lasorda, but. He uh, he would he would take that tamper tamper out and smash the helmet and of course the the, the crowd would go crazy you know with all that and uh, you know and, and, and I'm sure people have seen on YouTube some of the videos of him with the stuffed uh, uh, visiting team uh, uniform and a with a uh, you know all stuffed with a with a, uh, a dummy inside of it and all the crazy stuff he did with all that he was. Uh, you know, it, it was it was all very unique in baseball. You know, fooling around with the umpires and um, you know, and especially Eric Gregg, who was he really kind of played along with him. Right. And uh, he's, dead, he's deceased now. Yes, he is. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But uh, Roger Moore, let you let Judge you jump in. Just one for... thought about uh, uh, going for such a time, living in Philly, going to college in Philly, working with the Phillies. You grew up with the National League, and all of a sudden, you're in a really totally different atmosphere, not only from a game standpoint, but from a league standpoint, moving over to Cleveland. Tell us a little bit about that transition and what you thought. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, I my my wife could explain it better, but uh, I you know I said to her, I said, you know, uh, moving to uh, Cleveland Municipal Stadium reminded me a lot of Connie Mack Stadium because it had the uh, the poles in the middle that held up the roof, and there was a lot of cobwebs and really kind of tired uh, uh, concession stands and seats, and a lot of cracks in the concrete. And it was uh, it was a difficult place to play because it was enormous. And what uh, what I didn't realize until uh, I saw a game in daylight was that the sun never really uh, sat on the infield seat, so you're always in the shade. Uh, so it was cold. I mean, it, the concrete was damp because it never dried out. And, the, you know, the fans really weren't in the sun if they were sitting between the bases, uh, either in the upper deck or the lower deck. So it was, um, you know, it was, it was just a, a quiet sort of place because it was so large. Uh, so we would, we would sell out opening day every year. And then uh, Larry Shank would uh, send me a message uh, the next day uh, after he looked at the box score. And he said, well, I, I know I must be looking at Cleveland because you had 72,000 day one and 6,000 day two. And that was his way of uh, reminding me that things weren't too bad in Philadelphia. Uh, so, but it was, um, you know, I, I was, I had the, the opportunity to, 
to uh, kind of get on the ground floor. I had uh, great tutors uh, with with people like uh, Bill and Dave Montgomery and and Larry and, and Chris Wheeler. You know, people who really love the game. And uh, it, it was it was an opportunity that Hank Peters gave me uh, when when he interviewed me and hired me uh, to start at the at Cleveland because there was this hope that uh, Indians owner Dick Jacobs would be able to um, uh, get a, a new stadium built uh, just for baseball in uh, downtown Cleveland, and that it would be an opportunity for us to. Uh, you know, get a smaller facility, a newer facility, and one that we could kind of control the environment there. And, and that was kind of the, um, the, uh, the hope and the reason why we moved there was the opportunity for that. Well, Danny, I want to thank you so much. Uh, I, I, I think that the Philly Fanatic is quite honestly still uh, in a league by itself. I think it's really the, the icon of yep. the business. And uh, you were a part of the beginning of it. Uh, uh, and I, I just thought it would be a great story to talk about. Larry, as I said, uh, uh, when they had the TV show with Larry Bow and, and Bill Giles, they spent some time talking about it and certainly complimented you on uh, making the tr- transition from the San Diego <laughs> chickens to uh, what happened in Philadelphia, which is really, as I say, I think it's a, the number one mascot of, of all time. But Thank you so much for joining us. I hope, again, you'll come on with us and talk a little baseball because you've got a, a career full of it, and I appreciate all the time. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Don. My pleasure. It's nice to hear that, from you. You know what's ironic, Thanks, Don, Danny. is that uh, that David Raymond and, and Denny, you know, David Raymond's now has a business of designing mascots. That's so he's correct. Gone full mm-hmm. circle. That's correct. He started <laughs> that uh, maybe six or eight years into the fanatic. He realized the uh, possibilities of, of uh, creating his own design, and that's when he started. But once again, thank you very much, Denny. And uh, I, I heard Frank on a moment. I forget who was coming up next. Frank said that again. Yeah, it's Ray's on there, Ray Dittinger. Ray Dittinger's with us. Hall of Famer. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll let, I'll let well. Roger introduce Ray because uh, a Hall of Famer, we talk about a Hall of Famer in the, in the costume <laughs> business with the fanatic. Now we'll talk about a real Hall of Favor. Go ahead, Roger. Hey, Ray, it's always uh, it's wonderful to, that you're taking the time to be with us. I know you've got a lot on your table. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the play because it's going to start next week. You're in rehearsal, Tommy and me, uh, the Delaware Theater. Uh, Delaware listeners all about it because it's a great play. As you know, I saw it a couple of years ago. Yeah, I know you did, and I, I appreciate that. And yeah, of course, you know, COVID shut down all theater last year. So uh, we actually had a – we were scheduled to bring the play to Westchester, to a theater in Westchester last year, and then everything got shut down. So now theaters are just starting to reopen, and the Delaware Theater Company, which is which is a beautiful theater down on the uh, riverfront in Wilmington, uh, contacted us and said that uh, we're getting ready to reopen in October, and we want to reopen with your play. So – um, that was really a, a nice honor, and we uh, we were really excited about it. So we've got everybody back together again, and uh, we built the set, and uh, we uh, took it uh, took the play, and we're rehearsing it. The last uh, last started last week, and continuing this week, and we open next week. We open October the sixth, and we run through October the seventeenth. There'll be fourteen performances, and uh, happy to say tickets are already selling really well. So. 
if folks are interested in coming out and seeing it, and I really do recommend it. The theater is really beautiful, and it's, it's a new home, and we're excited about it. Uh, just go to the Delaware Theater Company website, and you'll see the Tommy and Me icon. You can't miss it. It's a picture of Tommy, Tommy, you know, diving to catch a football. <laughs> Very typical shot. Just click on that, and it'll take mm-hmm. you to the website where you can where you can order your tickets. And uh, I'll see you at the theater. There you go. Great. And I know you have Q and A afterwards too. So, yeah, we do Q. We do Q and A. Yeah, yeah, we do Q and A after every show, which is uh, um, people really people really enjoy that. We uh, we have the actors uh, and the director and myself all come out on the stage, and then we do about a fifteen minute or so uh, Q and A with the audience, where they're free to ask whatever questions they want to ask. And you know, we've got some good folks coming in to be guests in there. We've got uh, uh, Chris McDonald, who's uh, Tommy's uh, oldest son. He's going to come in two nights and talk about his father. Tommy McDonald, Jr., uh, the younger son, he's going to come one day. Uh, Herb McGee is going to come one day just to talk about a little bit about his basketball career. Of course, Herb has just announced his retirement after this season. Uh, so we've got uh, you know Glenn Macnell, my Saturday radio partner. He's going to come and host it one night. So, yeah, any night you come to the theater, you'll get to see the play, and you'll also get the, the opportunity to take part in the Q&A, which is always a lot of fun. Let's go back for a oh, second absolutely. because so many people listening all around the country, and we, you and I, and, and of course everybody on the show, knows who Tommy McDonald is, and uh, or who, who Tommy McDonald was in his performance. But uh, Ray, a lot of people don't know what the uh, genesis of the play is, and how you and Tommy McDonald, and how the Philadelphia Eagles, and how all this came about. Right. Yeah, I guess that is true. Um, uh, well, it's, he was, and, and to make it as simple as I possibly can, I mean, he was my boyhood hero. Um, you know, I grew up in, grew up in Philly and, uh, just about the time I was coming of age as an Eagles fan, Tommy McDonald was just arriving in town after an all American career at the university of Oklahoma, uh, came, joined the Eagles in 1957, right at the time that my family and I made our first odyssey up to Eagles training camp in the summertime. It was, uh, back then they were training at Hershey. Uh, and we used to go up there every year for two weeks and just watch practice every day. And you had real access to the players then, far more than you do today. I mean, there were no fences. There were no security guards. There was nobody saying, no, no, you can't come here. I mean, you could walk right up to the players. You could actually walk right up and stand on the edge of the practice field, and nobody bothered you. So for a little kid, I mean, that was like that was like a dream. I mean, you could talk to the players. You could get autographs. You could pose for pictures. and. You know, and in the case of Tommy, who was a very friendly guy, I mean, I he was my favorite player, and you know, he I would walk with him to the practice field every day, and I would carry his helmet, and that was that was kind of how our relationship and our friendship began, and then later on, I got into the business of being a sports writer, and of course, Tommy retired, and uh, I kind of took up the banner of trying to get him in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I just thought that he was a guy that belonged to be in there. Um, he's one of the great receivers of all time, certainly. At the time that he retired, he was the second leading touchdown receiver in the history of pro football. Uh, and he never got in the Hall of Fame for like 20 years. And I just thought it was a real injustice. And so I kind of mounted the campaign to kind of get him through the doors of Canton. And when it finally happened in 1998, um, he turned around and asked me to be his presenter. So, um, so this little journey that we started with me carrying his helmet up at Hershey in 1957 ended with the two of us standing on the steps in Canton side by side 1998. It was a pretty remarkable story and I just always thought, yeah, this I want to tell this story somehow. I just couldn't quite figure out what was the best way to do it, so I wrote a play and here we are. This is going to be the fifth revival of it. So, 
uh, if anybody wants to come out and see it. It's just a wonderful, true story that just makes people feel good. You know, and Lord knows in the world today, <laughs> there aren't a whole lot of feel-good stories, but this is one of them. You say that again, You're right Roger. Yeah, the other thing is, Ray, uh, I have in front of me your great book. It's absolutely wonderful. Finished Business, My 50 Years of Headlines, Heroes, and Heartaches. And I want to tell you, there's a lot in there, and there's a lot of great stories about it. Uh, you know, I got it uh, as quick as I could uh, from uh, through Amazon because, right. you know, they didn't have it in Barnes & Noble here. And, uh, I mean, just the stories, and you think about the relationships that you had from your time from Temple, uh, the Bulletin, the Daily News, uh, you know, TV, Comcast, NBC Sports, Philly. And I won't even get into Monday night's game, okay? Okay, good. <laughs> because that, because that is a, that's a negative, and we want all positive here. Well, I, I was up in Northport. This this is the first post-game show that I've missed. And after talking to Roger Ray, I have to say maybe I was very happy that I missed this, but it, it was early in the morning and I was in Northport and we couldn't pick up NBC Sports Philadelphia. So I miss, I didn't miss the game, unfortunately, but I did miss your show. <laughs> That's okay. We uh, uh, we had about an hour and a half to um, to uh, pick, pick it apart, and there was a lot to pick apart there. Uh, that was really uh, – that was uh, – I mean, disappointing doesn't begin to describe it. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, that would have been painful if it was anybody. But for that, to, for it to be the Cowboys and for it to be Monday night nationally televised, uh, it was embarrassing, you know, and it really was. And uh, you know, for for a rookie head coach in game number three, boy, that was a that was a rough one. And now life isn't going to get any easier because this Sunday you got the Kansas City Chiefs coming to town off of two straight losses. So um, so this is going to be, uh, you know, Nick Sirianni's got his work cut out for him. These next three or four weeks are not going to be any fun. Well, Roger, we'll keep no, it positive. You go, you go with the next question. <laughs> okay. The, uh, when, hey, how Roger? long did it take Roger, you? Wasn't there yeah, a, you know, Ray. Uh, Roger, wasn't there Tommy, a, a, a moment in time where you and uh, Ray had something to do together? Well, that's right. Well, Ray and I, as uh, we have heard uh, and said to each other, Ray and I happened to be fortunate to be at that 1960 championship game, December 26th, a cold, cold day at Franklin Field. However, Mr. Henderson was at the 1948 game or 47 game, as I recall. I got through the snow, my boy. Some of us were strong enough to get to Shy Park. Wow. There aren't a whole lot of of folks that are still around from that 48 championship game. Uh, But that was was pretty memorable. I volunteered volunteered to help clear the field of the snow, but they didn't use me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Ray. We were both. You were hardly born. You weren't even born, and and I was a little kid. But Don was there. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. I was, I was I, I was two I was two years old, so I don't I can't claim to remember go. much about it. Although I've certainly interviewed interviewed the guys who played in that game many times, and they they tell very funny mm-hmm. stories. I remember Steve Van Buren telling me that it was snow it was snowing so hard. That when they broke the huddle and lined up, 
he couldn't he could not see the uh, Chicago Cardinals defensive backs. He could see he could see the line of scrimmage, right? But he couldn't see anything beyond the line of scrimmage. That's how hard it was snowing. It was it was unbelievable. Nobody could get anywhere, and, and they played the game. And by the way, Ray, as you well know, the game was on television. People, you know, they don't realize that game was on television. Yeah, how about that? Well, that was actually the reason why, and there was a big kerfluffle after the game about why they even played it. Um, a lot of the newspaper people really took the commissioner, Burt Bell, to task for playing the game under those conditions. And um, remember, Burt Bell was a Phil- the office was in Philadelphia for those people listening around the country. They think of the he office was a Philly guy. in New York was, and how it's run, but Burt Bell was in Philadelphia. He was the president of the uh, he was the commissioner of the National Football League. Right, he was. He was, uh, and he was a Philly guy. He was went to Penn. You know, the, the NFL offices were in in Philadelphia. And, exactly. Um, but he but he wanted he insisted on the he insisted on the game playing. The coaches the coaches kind of want didn't want to play. Uh, the players wanted to play, but the coaches didn't want to play. Um, but Bell said, "Look, we have this uh, TV network, TV and radio deal, uh, and you know, and, and we're playing." Uh, so. You know, just go out there and help the grounds crew get the tarp off the field and let's get going. And so, you know, and, and the, the, a lot of the newspaper guys, including Jimmy Cannon, who was a very, very prominent columnist out of New York at the time, just eviscerated Burt Bell for his decision to go ahead and play the game, called the game a travesty and whatnot. But in Philadelphia, nobody cared because the Eagles came out of it 7 nothing winners. That's exactly right. Uh, it, was, it was something to be seen. And it was it was that the year before, the year after. I can't remember whether Waterfield or the L.A. when they went to L.A. and got were beaten. Was that was that the year before, or the year after? Next year, it was. Uh, they actually played in. They actually played in really. They played in three straight championship games. Right. Uh, and and the and the playing conditions and all of them were awful. In '47, they played the Cardinals in Chicago at Comiskey Park, and the field was frozen solid. It was it was a field of ice, and the Cardinals won that game. Then in '48 they played the game that you went to, Don, at at Shy Park, uh, right. in the in the in a blizzard, and the Eagles won that game. And then in '49 um, the Eagles played the Rams in the LA Coliseum, in a torrential downpour. If anybody right. ever saw the footage of it, the 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 mud was was up above the players' ankles. That's how muddy the field was. But well, Van Buren, I had to Van, Buren I... Van Buren ran for like 200 yards. Yeah, I know you. I know you saw the game in its entirety the other night, but. I'm sitting there watching the game, and I'm saying to myself, they brought up Crazy Legs Hurst, and that's the first time I've heard his name mentioned in such a long period of time that people listening around the country don't realize. Crazy Legs Hurst, they made a movie of his life, like Jackie Robinson and all the rest of the great players. I don't think anybody watching the game the other night knew who they were talking about, to be honest with you. Probably not. Probably <laughs> not. But uh, if anybody gets the opportunity to, if you can find it anywhere, you you got to see Crazy Legs All American. It's uh one it's one of the great campy sports movies of all time with Crazy Legs Hurst playing himself by the way. Yes. Yeah. It was uh, it well of course Jackie Robinson played himself in the first one. He didn't play it in the second, but in the first one he played himself there. Right. But it you you uh, you know with it, when you think of Warfield, all the great players and that's why I talk about the Rams. They tell me how successful the Rams are. Well, the, the Rams will be successful as long as they win. If they start to lose, there won't be anybody there, just like there wasn't anybody the first time they were there, the second time they were there. This is their third trip to the plate. We'll see what happens. Right, that's correct. 
That's correct. That's that's sort of my impression of yeah, of LA football fans. They um they really they really are not that, that is really not a pro football town. It's not. No, You're right, Don. No. If, if if the if the team's winning, then people will come. Uh but if the team's mediocre or less, they won't. I I mean I remember a few years ago, um the LA Times uh did a survey. They asked their readers, um, do you do you want pro football? Do you want to bring a pro football franchise back to back to Los Angeles? Um and 60% of the people said no. That's I mean, correct. You know, most, the, the majority of the people said, that, no, we don't care, because you know, their feeling was if you bring in a bad team, uh, then that's the games that we're going to get shoved down our throat on TV on the weekends. The way it is now, you know, without a team, they get the best games get televised into L.A., you know, so if we get a lousy team, if we get a lousy team here, you know, why why would we get stuck watching those games when we can see the best games and that's what we see now? So the people in Los Angeles that, really were dying. They, they weren't dying when to Al get Davis football went back. out there. They proved it was so yeah. good. Yeah, right. And now they've got two teams in that new stadium. Yeah, you they're know? both pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they are both pretty good. Ray, I wanted to get back to the book for a second. I mean, it's you know, it's all about uh, your fifty years. But how long did it take to develop it and, uh, and get it out into uh, uh, the market? Um, well, I, I really if, – if the Eagles hadn't won the Super Bowl, it never would have been written. Um, really? I, I just – yeah, I mean, I, I didn't – they had talked to me a couple of years ago, a few years ago, about, you know, it, coming up on 50 years in the business, why don't you write your memoirs? And, uh, mm-hmm. and I – I, I tried to start writing it, and I just for the I just didn't feel it. I just it didn't feel right to me. And I, I got back to them. I said, you know what? No, this just isn't working. It's not worth it. So they said, all right, just forget it. So we dropped it. Um, but then when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, um, I don't know. I just coming back from Minneapolis, I just and seeing what was going on in the city, and having been out there and seen being in the stadium and feeling that emotion and. Then coming home and seeing the celebration and the people dancing in the streets and then the parade, uh, I called them back and I said, you know what, I think I got a book now, uh, because it, because it, that game kind of gave the book an ending, you know. My mm-hmm. in the years I was in the years I was in the business, you know, I covered the two Flyers Stanley Cups, I covered the two Phillies World Series, uh, and I covered you know the Dr. J Moses team that won the NBA championship, but. The one thing that was missing, the one thing that was missing was I hadn't covered an Eagle Super Bowl win. And mm-hmm. when that finally happened, it's it just sort of completed the story in my mind. You know, I mean, that's, you know, that, that kind of represented finished business. Uh, and so, you know, with that in mind, I sat down and I started writing. And I, I guess the writing of it took me about a year uh, to get the thing from the time I started till the time I finished. But, uh, you know, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. I'm glad I did it. Oh, and uh and the, and the response to it has been really good. I mean, the first printing sold out already, and we're already on the second printing, and it's it's continuing to do really well. Well, as Roger said, it's a terrific book, and uh, you don't just have to be an Eagle fan for those people listening outside the city. As you said, you were involved <clears throat> with every aspect of it uh, from the early days of yourself and through the media and uh, what you did with the Bulletin and NFL Films and all the rest of it. So it... it uh, it's a great book, and it's a, it's a great story, and you don't have to be an Eagle fan to enjoy it, I think, Ray. I think anybody would. Yeah, I kind of wrote it that way, Don. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of wrote it with that in mind. I tried to make it one that you don't even necessarily have to be a Philadelphian. It's, it's just, right. it's just a, a whole bunch of different sports. I mean, I even have a chapter in there on, on the year I spent 
tra- traveling with the professional wrestling circuit. You know, I, yeah. I have one chapter in there just about mm. what what a crazy what a crazy nutty world professional wrestling is. Um, so I mean, there's a little bit there's there's a little something in there for everybody, I'd say. Well, Ray, I you want know, to thank what, you once once again. Yeah, it's been a year since you joined us. Great luck again with the with the play. Uh, I'm going to get to see it this time. Roger told me when uh, when it's available. And so I'm going to get to see it this time. I missed last year because I wasn't here when you – well, there wasn't a show, but the year before I, I didn't have an right. opportunity to see it. But uh, I'm delighted. I'm delighted you're finally going to get a chance. Your your radio show is great. Your TV postgame show, uh, you got a lot of you got a lot of opinion out there. So if people like opinion, they're going to get it on the postgame show. Thank you so much for your time. I know you got to Ray, run as thank well. thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Uh, it's all, always a pleasure. Take care, guys. See you. Take care. You too. Take care. All right. Okay. We're going to continue on the football side. Mike Schulte is on the line right now, joining us uh, from out in uh, Tampa, St. Petersburg. And, uh, Mike, uh, we had a terrific weekend of college football this last weekend. And you keep talking about the upsets, and we keep seeing what happens every weekend in and out. Uh, the only team that's been consistent uh, moving up this the latter has been Notre Dame. They they just keep on winning, and uh, he became now the winningest coach at Notre Dame, uh, which is quite an accomplishment in itself. But uh, tell us a little about the college scene right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, and, and, and you know, another exciting weekend. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, each each weekend wow. so far really has not disappointed. Um, a lot of really. Uh, exciting games, exciting finishes, um, and you know enough. Uh, a lot of upsets actually along the way, or at least least upsets based on you know what the the the, the, the predictors the, you know felt like the top twenty five was going to be at the beginning of the year. Um, but there's not a whole lot of teams that uh, have have turned out to be you know where where they thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. That's for right. sure. But it's, it just does make for uh, a lot of exciting football to watch, and it's a lot of fun. Roger? Mike, I was at a uh, really uh, a good game, and you might consider it a, an upset Saturday night, and that was when Tech hosted North Carolina, who was nationally ranked, uh, going into the game. And Tech looked really good, and uh, they play one game a year at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I was sort of surprised. If you're going to have the one game, uh, why wouldn't you have the Georgia game? Okay, you know there, and uh, because right. you got you know right. better seating, better facility than either one of the uh, college games. Uh, but I'll tell you, I was just really impressed with Tech, and I think that you're going to hear more and more about them. And uh, they got a young quarterback, but uh, he he looks really good, but. Now that I've been back in Georgia, it's just amazing to watch the difference in two Division One coaches' style in Kirby Smart versus Jeff. Uh, 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 anyway, you know the tech coach, and uh, right. Uh, I just, you know, it's amazing what what you see, and you can see the difference. Uh, in them, but uh, I, I, what do you think? I, I don't know if you have did get to get to if you got to see that game or not. But I was really impressed with Tech. I I did not get to see that game. Uh, I, I saw a lot of a lot of games, uh, but I didn't I didn't wasn't able to catch that one. There were so many other you know games that oh. were on that were you know to watch and so many exciting games and and battles going on. Uh, I. I 
flip around a lot, um, but uh, didn't get to see that one. But you're right, I've heard that too. I mean, Georgia Tech is is really coming along and and uh, and doing a really good job there. And and uh, you know that, that's you know a real solid win for them. You know, against North Carolina. North Carolina, I, I know a lot of people felt like they were you know a pretty strong team this year and. And they still may be. I mean, you know, it's early, but um, you know, a couple of games really have, haven't gone their way that uh, they think a lot of people thought, you know, thought would do that. Uh, but of course, Clemson can say that too. <laughs> you know, I was just going to say uh, I, the biggest surprise to me of the entire early three-game series, the fact that Clemson was picked either one or two. They, they thought that even if they lost that first game of the season, uh, they were still going to be up there one, two, three. They're now down yeah. to 25, first time in, what, 20, how many years, how many seasons yeah. have they been down? The first time they haven't been in the top 10 or the top 15 or the top 20, they're number 25 this week. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I mean, that that happens. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's. Uh, I, I think we, we've gotten, you know, in recent years, we've gotten to the point where we think that, oh, it's just so easy to reload because Alabama seems to do it every year. And Clemson was doing it for quite a while, and Ohio State has been doing it for a while, you know, and so forth. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, you know, you, you look at how many guys that these these teams, and, and in this case, you know, Clemson, you know, not only are they losing each year like every team does, but you know, the fact that you know how many of those guys are playing in the NFL right now, you know, and it's like how many years in a row can you lose that many? basically NFL caliber players out of your rotation and just keep plugging guys in right behind them that are going to, you know, perform the same level. Now, like you said, I think Alabama's been probably the most exception to that rule, but you know, it really is hard to do. And uh, you know, and then the other part is that, you know, you're playing good competition. I mean, you know, Clemson to start out with Georgia, that's not an easy, that's not an easy game, you know? Um, so, you know, I mean, you give them, give them a little bit there, but at the same time, you know, obviously they're not quite, they don't quite have the firepower, especially on offense that they, that they've had in recent years. And, you know, that's going to happen. Uh, and the other thing, and we, I know we, I, we talked about this before, you know, this, this, uh, this new aspect uh, with the, with the, the transfer portal and, and the NCAA right. allowing kids to transfer one time without sitting out um, has really uh, changed the landscape. And, and I, I, I go over to Arkansas again, you know, Arkansas has got some players, you know, their transfers that came in there and, and, you know, from other good, good programs and, um, and, you know, look how quickly now all of a sudden they're four and O and, and not just four and O they're, you know, they beat Texas and Texas A&M in that, in that four game stretch. So now, you know, it's going to be interesting tests this week against Georgia, obviously, but you know, Hey, and that, that's a huge difference from where they, they have been recently. And again, exactly. you can you can look at a lot of things, but at the same time, I I just think that there's a you know that 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 the ability for these kids to move around and kids that that are um uh you know that are really good uh you know high caliber players, but they're unfortunately maybe playing behind some you know some other very high caliber players at a really good program, you know them being able to move to a program that's not quite as as you know as deep. Uh, in order to get more playing time is, is elevating those other programs a lot quicker than just going through the regular recruiting process and trying to find a new freshman and bring them, bringing them along and so forth. So I think it's, that's probably had a, a big effect on, on teams becoming 
competitive that we didn't really think were going to be competitive, um, you know, because of where they were two years ago. Roger? Mike? Yeah, Mike, uh, Frank and I, uh, before Don uh, was able to get get with us tonight, uh, Frank and I were talking about this. Um, a couple of things. Number one, I want to give credit where credit is due. Jeff Collins is the coach at uh, at Tech. Uh, yeah, coach. Yeah. Yep. On, so, yeah, on Monday night's game, and I didn't watch the regular broadcast. I watched the Mannings because I love the right. way they do it, even though you can get distracted. But as you probably uh, know, uh, Nick Saban was on in the third period. And Mm -hmm. uh, I found it very enlightening because, number one, the number of players that are from the Southeast Conference in all the NFL, but especially from Alabama, and you got a lot from Georgia too. But uh, what he was – with the point that he made about Jalen Hurts, about the transfer, I thought was very interesting. I, I didn't know that uh, that they he and and the uh, coach and Hertz had gotten together about his decision to go to Oklahoma, but he sta- he said that he asked uh, uh, Hertz which team that's recruiting you has the best players, and he t- said he t- uh, Hertz told him Oklahoma, and he said then go to Oklahoma. So I found that very interesting because that was a nugget that I had never heard before. I mean, you're really close to college football. Maybe you had heard it, but uh, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I hadn't heard that that aspect of it, but but certainly, you know, I, I'm not really surprised about that. And you know, because obviously, you know, you know, you know, any coach worth his salt, and and, and certainly Nick Saban is you know, is going to want the best for their players. And, and if they have an opportunity to play somewhere else, um, you know, they need to do that. Um, I, I know Justin Fields did that from Georgia. You know, he was the, he was the third string quarterback at Georgia. And then he, he was the second string quarterback, but he, but the guy in front of him, which was uh, from, uh, you know, was, he knew he was going to start for, for the next three years and he wasn't going to get much opportunity. So he went to Ohio state and became a star and now he's in the NFL, but, you know the the key is that you know the you know the coaches are going to uh, want these players you know uh, to to be successful and you know they don't recruit them to have them sit on the bench and be you know and just not be able to to, to play and it, you know they you know when you recruit players you don't know exactly who's going to uh, you know rise to the top who's going to uh, uh, perform the way you think and hope that you're going to perform. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, uh, you know, you, you just have a backlog somewhere. It's not like the old days where, you know, you hear stories about, you know, the programs back when they used to have no limits on scholarships and, and, and that kind of thing where they, I, I remember hearing stories of, you know, back in the seventies, you know, how the teams would basically sign, um, uh, player as many players as they wanted to, and they would sign kids not to play them, but to keep the other team, their opponents from getting, from, from signing them, yeah. uh, you know, and they just stockpile them and sit them on the bench and, you know, so that they, so that they didn't have to play against them, you know, it's, you know, it's not like that anymore. And, and so, you know, the, the opportunity now for these kids to, to be able to, to move around, uh, I, I think is a good thing. Obviously you don't want it to be just a carp wash where they just move around all the time, but giving them one, opportunity to change the you know uh, change the the scenery um in order so that they can play uh you know uh, and 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 show their talents and and have that experience i think is a good thing and and like i said it's it's now helping 
um, you know, uh, I think other other programs to be able to fill fill holes in, in places where they might uh, they might be able to that they really need. Um, but again, you know, and not have to to rely on just recruiting, you know, uh, some kid out of high school and hope that he and he that uh, you know they can you know fill a starting role in a couple of years when you can get somebody in bat, you know, they can come in right away. You know, you, we've seen that for many years with basketball, right? Of course, you don't need that as many, uh, you know, uh, key players in basketball to be good. But, you know, you've seen that for years, you know, where you have, you know, programs that will get kids out of junior college, for instance, and, and you know, move in, you know, then they'll come in and they'll, they'll be, they got experience and they can start. And, and you have a mix of, you know, your, your returning players and maybe, and then some, some, you know, young uh, freshmen coming up, but then you, you know, if you have a, a spot or two that, you know, where you can get a, a good uh, Juco player to come in, you know, and fill a gap, you know, in there, uh, you know, that can really make, make a big difference on, on how, on how like good you're It's like an OJ Simpson. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> then you, then you got a pretty good day, package. But... Mike Schulte is our special guest. This segment, as always, Mike, uh, of course, uh, one of the directors in the uh, Outback Bowl and has been for, like, what, 27, 25, 27 years? Uh, about uh, you've 32 You've been associated years, with that yeah. one, Mike, and, and uh, that's years. great success. Wow. How many? 32. Uh, 32. 32. Yeah. Oh, I I'm thought only, it was in the 20s. 32 years. I'm all- I'm only 45, though, I think. so. <laughs> there you go. But it was 39, Mike, like Jack Benny. Yeah. yeah. Well, a comment, uh, a comment on Kelly at Notre Dame, who's become the all-time winner there, and then he's been a pretty, pretty solid company. And then, of course, what's happened at UCLA, and uh, what are they three and one now? And everybody's sort yeah. of waiting, <laughs> waiting for them to make a move out there. Maybe they finally have, uh, have uh, developed going back to his college coaching days. Maybe he's learned something again. But uh, your comments on those two teams. Well, yeah, UCLA, you know, absolutely. I mean, they 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 are coming along, uh, I think, very well. Uh, I, I think you know a lot of people thought that you know before the season that they were going to be a good team this year, and and I think they are. Um, you know, again, it's it is still early, but you know they they you know they seem seem to look like they've you know they make made a real good step forward. Um, you know, and and ironically, at a time when USC seems to be. Uh, unfortunately, sort of floundering with their coaching situation there, but you know that's a really attractive job, and they're going to get somebody good to fill that role, and and they've got you know everything they need to to put together you know to return to being a really good program at USC um, as well. As far as Notre Dame, um, you know that's great for for uh, Coach Kelly. Um, you know certainly deserves that, and and they you know they, I think they I think a lot of people early on, including myself. You know, in that or in that first game of the year against um, uh, FSU, even though they won the game, you know they you know uh, they they didn't look that great uh, doing it, and and you know FSU uh, made a lot of mistakes and still almost won the game, uh, certainly could have, and so I think there was a, at least in my mind there was a question mark about Notre Dame. At that point, but at the same time, you know, I, I think you've seen them getting better each week, and and that's you know that's a really good sign for any team, um, and and I think you know too we we, we got to go back and 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 not forget that you know last year, you know yeah we played college football and 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 so forth, but it was a different kind of year um, that you know there wasn't spring ball the the, the 
uh, preseason last year uh, was shortened. The season started late. Uh, a lot of teams didn't play a full schedule. Um, there weren't fans in the stands in most cases. I mean, the, 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 you know, it, it was a different kind of a deal. Uh, and so, you know, this year, I think, especially at the very beginning of the year, I think it's more understandable than even than typical years. If a, if a team, you know, isn't gelling quite right or isn't really – uh, at the level you would maybe think them to be at, um, you know, but, you know, to, to, to show and see how the, the Notre Dame has improved week over week over week, um, you know, they, they could really be something special this year. And, uh, and the, you know, the, the new uh, quarterback that they have there, uh, Cone, who came over from Wisconsin, you know, you know, I think he's played better each game as well. So I think they're on the right track and and uh, going to have a lot more wins uh, ahead of them. I, I was sort of surprised that you know Wisconsin uh, not quite you know finding themselves yet, but you know they they've got talent there, and you know it's it's a long season, so we'll see what happens there. Roger, hey Mike, getting back to the uh, game on Sunday or Saturday, I should say, uh, Georgia hosting Arkansas. I was surprised that that's a noon game because they're going to have uh, game day. Uh, obviously at 10 o'clock be there in at Athens uh, and then the yeah. game's going to be on right away. I'm just really surprised about that, but I'll tell you what, I, I really am impressed with Georgia. That defense that Kirby smart has is uh, phenomenal. And uh, it would not surprise me uh, if they beat Alabama. I, I'd like to have your opinion of that. Um, you mean later in the year? Yeah, when they play, when they play uh, Alabama, Alabama yeah. the SEC title game, I think that's what the oh, matchup yeah. is going to be. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, you know, injuries are play a big part of it, and so forth. I, I but yeah, you, you're right. I mean, they are tracking well. I, I think Georgia. I, you're right. I mean, the defense is really uh, impressive, um, and I think if they have any question marks, you know, uh, you know, a little bit on the maybe the running game it probably isn't quite as good as what they've had of of recent years, at least yet. Um, But, you know, their passing game has been really good and their defense is really, really good. Uh, And something that they've, you know, uh, they haven't been as good in in recent years. You know, they had the, they had the strong running game and pretty good passing game defense, you know, was a little bit behind them. Now the defense is right up there. Um, So they, they've got a lot of, a lot uh, going for them here. Uh, at the same time, though, you know they've got you know they've got some you know some other teams they got to get by. One of them is Arkansas this week. I mean, Arkansas, you know, it's one thing to say, well, you know, Arkansas, you know, uh, you know, beat Texas. Maybe Texas isn't quite as good as everybody thought, and it, you know, it's an upset thing. But the way that they've you know continued to play um, and and how they uh, they handled A uh, and M last week. Um, you know, there, there's something really there for Arkansas and, and Georgia cannot look past them at all. And they, they're going to have their hands full, I think with them. Um, though I think they'll win, but at the same time, you know, they also, Georgia has, as Florida coming up at the end of the month, uh, in some other key games. So, you know, I, I think what you see in Georgia is that they're, they are really, really good and that they're only probably going to continue to get better. And you're right. I mean, it, it, you could foresee, you know, just a phenomenal uh, type of game, you know, with, with Georgia and Alabama at, at, in uh, Atlanta at the end of the season. 
um, which is uh, is really going to be interesting. You know, I, I remember it wasn't so long ago, and I can't remember what, what year it was, but uh, where Georgia and Alabama played in the SEC championship game, and it was like the national championship. I mean, it, 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 right. it seemed like those two teams were really the best two teams in the country. And unfortunately, I, and I think Alabama won. Uh, it was the one where Georgia, you know, was, was inside the 10-yard line and uh, sort of time running out, and the, and the quarterback um, uh, 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 got hit or something when he threw it, or the ball was tipped at the line, and it went to a, a, a running back or somebody who caught it. They had no timeouts left, and they, he caught it on like the, the five-yard line just because it came to him. He didn't, you know, wasn't really to him, but he caught it, and because he caught it and, and fell down, um, they ran out of time, and then Alabama won it. And then Alabama went down to Miami, and I think beat Oklahoma or somebody easily for the national championship. And everybody was like, you know, the real national championship game was in the SEC title game that year. And uh, and so who knows? Maybe maybe it'll be that kind of a thing this year, where you know the the you know one and two end up playing in the SEC championship game at the end of the year, at the end of the regular season, and then you have the and then you have the playoffs after that, which would be almost like a an afterthought. So. Uh, be fun. Be fun to see what happens. Mike Schulte sure, this well. week. We'll talk a little bit about the Outback Bowl. And as always, we uh, thank you very, very much for joining us in this segment. And look forward to next week. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. And and uh, yeah, the bowl game. In fact, our tickets are going on sale uh, at Ticketmaster uh, in a few weeks. Uh, two weeks, um, October twelfth. They're going on sale uh, through Ticketmaster. So um, we're looking forward to that, and uh, and looking we forward will, to we will continue uh, great to talk about season. that week after week until you get up to the the special ticket plans as well as the general admission ticket plans, and and uh, really look forward to the Outback Bowl. We all go there and have one of the great uh, football days. We join you at the Outback Bowl, and again, thank you very very much. It's always a pleasure. Mike, thank have you a guys. Great I week. appreciate it. Yeah, you too. Mike Schulte, the weekend. Outback Bowl. Now we're going to switch to uh, our resident pro, PGA professional, and he saw one of the greatest games in NFL history and has to be two. We've now had two weeks in a row here where uh, Mm -hmm. his team wins in the last 13 seconds of a game or less. Mm -hmm. And uh, Doug Hamilton, before we talk about golf and your specialty, Mm -hmm. how about those Ravens? Well, it's – it's something to behold when you watch the Ravens. I mean, they, they could easily be three and Oh, they could easily be Oh and three and by golly, they're two and one. So, um, you know, it's, uh, anything can happen week to week. You know, we, we, we've seen this in the NFL before and, um, you know, they, they were beating, uh, Las Vegas and, and should have probably won that football game. And, you know, they, they get the chiefs at home and, Played played them tough and then made a really good defensive play there towards the end and, and somehow eked out a win and then this week they they fall asleep against the Lions and kick a 56 yard field goal and you know there's lots of stuff going on there I mean um, you know obviously we can look at injuries and and uh, and I mean they had uh, an additional four guys placed on the COVID protocol and and my heavens I mean they're 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 picking running backs up off the streets you know to to fill their roles and, and there's a lot going on there, but, um, you know, they're figuring out a way to win they They have some youngsters that are stepping up and getting an opportunity to play and playing well. And, um, you know, hopefully they'll 
get some help along the way with guys coming back off of uh, injured reserve, Rashad Bateman uh, being one of them, uh, their first-round draft pick. Um, Miles Boykin, another wide receiver. Um, you know, so we'll, um, you know, continue to, to, to watch them practice and, and hopefully get healthy. And, you know, they have a tough schedule. I mean, they haven't even gotten into the divisional schedule with um, – you know, the Steelers twice, the Bengals twice, the Browns twice. I mean, that's that's a lot right there um, in terms of football games. So um, exciting to watch and, and um, you know, looking forward to, you know, watching the rest of their season. Roger? The uh, – Doug, uh, the, what did you think of uh, the, the Ryder Cup, a most impressive <laughs> performance by the USA? Yeah. Um, you know, I watched um, – both of the first two days and, and the majority of, of the coverage that was, you know, presented uh, with regard to the, both the four ball and the foursomes. And, um, you know, ironically, I think uh, my mom had texted me on, uh, on Sunday and asked me kind of what, what my docket was for the day in terms of what I was watching. I had Sunday off and, um, you know, I was watching mostly, I, I watched most of the Ryder cup on Sunday. Um, you know, I think, um, uh, I, I watched some some NFL football and the Ravens and stuff like that, but I was really, really, I love the Ryder Cup probably more than any sporting event um, that we have. I mean, there's there's some horse racing. The Kentucky Derby is always a good one. Um, you know, depending on how the Triple Crown goes, you know, with regard to the Preakness and and the Belmont, I'm excited to watch those. Um, you know, for when they come. I love baseball. I love football, but the Ryder Cup is just so special and. Um, We've had her behind handed to us um, for a number of years now, and um, I think we saw a seismic shift in in uh, the powers that be in terms of golf. Um, I think if you look at the European team, they have you know a lot of guys that are aging and and probably won't you know come come back for for future events. And I think they they don't really have a solid pipeline of youngsters that are going to fill those spots. Um, you know, in two years they'll be in Rome. And I think that the United States, um, in, in dominating fashion, you know, got the Ryder Cup back and also proclaimed that for hopefully several years they'll have, you know, some youngsters that can continue to, to fill that roster. And there's probably an additional, I don't know, three, four, five, six guys that were, were left off the team that could compete, you know, for the next right. one. So, um and I'll tell you, Rory future... really took it hard for the European team. I, he, it wasn't an easy yeah. loss in, in no, this I mean, case. Look, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, um, you know, when you're 20-something years old and, and winning major like he was, I mean, I think you you don't necessarily think about the future. Um, I think he's, what, 32 and, you know, starting to, you know, think about, you know, some of that. I think Sergio's in his early the mid forties and, you know, Westwood's bag on near 50 and Paul right. Casey's up there. And, um, you know, a lot of those guys, I mean, it was, I thought it was the best part I think of the Ryder cup for me, obviously was the win, but to watch Scotty Scheffler just absolutely stick it up. John Rahm's rear end was great. I mean, he birdied, I think four or five of the first five or six holes. And Scotty Scheffler was a guy that, that was a captain's pick that everybody said that Steve Stricker, like, okay, well, why are you picking him? Why didn't you pick, 
whatever, fill in the blank. Right. And for him to go out there and dominate John Rahm was worth the price of admission for me. Um, I don't know. I just I got a kick out of that. I thought that was great. Um, well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I, think, I saw quite a bit of it, and uh, I don't know whether I have much Roger saw, but I I got to dispute a little bit that Phil Muslick had a major piece in the New York Post uh, of how discourteous the fans of the United States were, especially when the Europeans would miss a putt or hit a bad shot. Uh, I I didn't see it. I did, uh, you said you saw a lot of it too. Did you think there was a lot of discourtesy during the course of the of the Ryder Cup with the with the American fans? Well, you know, Don, we we live in a world where the Europeans use pronouns like them and their. You know, that's how they identify themselves. You know, you have right. to clarify that now in today's today's world. So, I mean, maybe they were a little sensitive, but you know, when you go to you know watch the Ryder Cup in two years in Rome, I'm sure you're going to see the same thing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, I don't the think, competition. But I, don't, I don't really remember anybody cheering when somebody missed a putt. I, I you know, I, maybe I'm wrong. I, I watched a lot of it. I know, didn't see it. You know, I'm I'm sure that it happened. I mean, look, we're not we're not studying in the library here. You know what I mean? Right. It's, this is a very highly contested event that is that is international, and we've lost four of the last five events, and do the math for years beyond that that we had you know, got our rear end handed to us. So, you know, for us to come in there and, and, and on paper have a very dominant team, yeah, there's probably going to be some bad blood. There's going to be some some cheering and, and some different things. I mean, are you telling me that when you go to a football game and a, and a kicker misses an extra point that they don't cheer, boo, jeer, you know, do whatever? I mean, it's, we're talking about sports here. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it'd be different if, if a guy was lined up over a putt and there was, you know, somebody that did something that was distracting or whatever, but I mean, after the fact, you missed the putt. Yeah, you're right. Okay. He's going to cheer, you know, for the United States and do whatever. I mean, that's, that's how this event goes and it's never changed. It's never been different than that. So whoever, whoever that guy, whoever that guy was that wrote that, he probably voted for Obama twice. <laughs> Roger, that's a good point. Okay. But the the uh, you know I was just looking Don uh, to see the uh, article because I don't think a lot of uh, Phil Mushnick uh, his columns get into the electronic version electronic edition of the Post. Right. You have no. to go on uh, and and search for it. Uh, and I was looking for that article because I find that uh, you know very interesting. Doug, I, I, I just wanted to ask you a quick question about uh, on Monday Night Football. Do you watch mm-hmm. the uh, ESPN alternate uh, ver- edition uh, where, for uh, the Peyton, or Peyton and uh, Eli? You know, I, I haven't. Um, I've heard people remark about, you know, how entertaining it is. I mean, I think those guys together probably provide some, you know, solid, um, you know, commentary on some different things. Um you know, those those family gatherings of Thanksgiving and, and whatever are probably nothing more than a hoot, you know, getting those guys all together with Archie and, and Cooper and, and, and whoever. And um, I haven't watched it. I mean, I I focus more on, you know, the football game itself. I mean, I think when, when John Gruden and Mike Tirico were the guys in the booth, I, that was so entertaining um, to me to watch that football game. I thought those those two guys were masterful in you know, in, in doing the games. Um, and you guys have said this and you guys have been a part of this, but 
you know, to watch a, a baseball game, a football game, or listen to it on the radio or whatever, those those voices, you know, make that game. Um, and, and when you have good guys doing them, it makes it that much better. Um, so, I don't know. I just – I like to watch football. I don't really care, you know, much about what's what's said or whatever. I think the entertaining part for me would be if I ever watch um, Eli and, and Peyton, you know, watch the game as it is, and then, you know, another day or so later, watch those two guys, you know, do their thing, that you can enjoy them and, that you know, their entertainment aspect of it. So, Well, well we kick this I, around, I, I Roger like and I, and, and uh, on the show with a number of different people, and uh, a lot of folks have, you know, the same explanation that Roger does, that he thinks it's very entertaining. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd say, I would say probably <laughs> two out of three people that we've talked to, uh, on the show, think it's very entertaining, and I, mm-hmm. I say exactly what you did. I, I watched it for a couple of minutes, but I'm interested in the game, and and yeah. I, uh, you know, I don't need a lot of uh, stump substance outside of the game. I'm sitting there looking at. It. I don't. I mean, I don't care whether the quarterback shifts right. his feet this way or that way, and so I'm with you. I I don't watch that. I watch the game. Well, you know, you know, well, Don. My, I think my that point if- was. No, I was just going to say my point is that I think that when they bring a third party in uh, for each quarter, like my, it was Matthew Stafford, right. uh, LeBron James, and I had no idea LeBron James was such a great football player, you know, in his youth, and that uh, mm-hmm. the the, uh, uh, the 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 uh, Raiders and the Cowboys, when they had the NBA uh, work stoppage, they went after him to be a tight end. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing, and then they had uh, Nick Saban on and Chris Long in the fourth quarter. And I learned a lot. And I just mm-hmm. think that they, the two of them bring it out. And, and uh, uh, Eli's very funny. And then they mm-hmm. had Archie on the other night. And, uh, and Peyton was like, he was sweating. And you could see he was just full of perspiration. And Archie uh, said uh, to Peyton, your mother says, go get a fresh shirt. <laughs> and I just, I thought, you know, that's just what you would hear in a family gathering. That's what you would hear. Right. You know? Well, you know, Don, I would, I would equate it. You know, my, my mom made a really good meatloaf and I enjoyed her meatloaf. But for people that don't, you know what? They put ketchup on the meatloaf. I don't need ketchup on mine. You know, I, like I, that. I just want to, I just want to watch the football game. Well, I, you know, I I'm with you. I again, I go back and and uh, you know they may be doing a great job, and I don't say that they're not. I I turned it on for a few minutes and looked at it the first week. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't look at it this last week, or, or the, I've only seen it once. Uh, and as Roger said, and in the case of uh, LeBron James. You have to remember when they talked about LeBron James, it's when the when the strike was going on, and they mm-hmm. didn't have players. Yeah. So they wanted to get a named guy to come in to hopefully they get some people to come into the stands. I don't think it had anything to do with how good, uh, you know, <laughs> James right. would have been as a tight end or not. But I, I didn't I didn't hear the exact what Roger was saying. I didn't hear the comments, so I can't. But you have to look. To me, you got to put that kind of stuff in in. Uh, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that he was a great football player. It means they wanted to use a name to get people to come into the stands. It has nothing to do with no, the game. But, but he was, Don. I had no idea his record as a quarterback in high school. Yeah, but you're, that's what I, I mean. You're no talking idea. high school, Roger. High school, you know. Well, yeah, but I mean, 
this, this, and listen, he's an athlete, okay? And I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of LeBron James. Don't get me wrong. But the, but the other thing is, I think the, the, uh, there's, there's so much. I, I'm not a fan of the Monday Night Crew, to be honest with you. And uh, first of all, I'm old. I admit it. There was never (laughs) going to be another crew like Frank Gifford, Howard Cosell, and Don Murden, or Keith Jackson before the year before Frank Gifford. You're never going to duplicate that. And I'm in the car, and I listen to uh, the main event of Sinatra at Madison Square Garden in October of 74, and to hear Howard Cosell, you'll never beat anything with it, you know, about those days. You can't duplicate mm-hmm. it today. They don't have the personality, and uh, I'm not that big of a fan of uh, Romo, Tony Romo. I don't think he's that yeah. good. Everybody's tremendous. And, uh, I, uh, you know, that's just my opinion. That's all. Right. Well, I, I think ESPN in general, um, I, I don't particularly care for really any of – their pregame or, or any of the, any of their stuff. I mean, I, I watch a lot of the NFL Network. Um, I like, um, you know, Kurt Warner and and uh, Mooch and yeah. and those guys. That do I, I think they do a much better job of uh, breaking down games. I mean, Michael Irvin, I can I can take or leave. I mean, he he's like a C minus with a grasp of English language, but but the rest of the guys <laughs> I think are, are pretty decent. Um, but the, but you know, ESPN is you know, Randy Moss and you know what I mean? Like they just, they don't do it for me. I'm sorry. Um, I just, I don't particularly care to watch them. Well, well I'll be honest, know, I'm not a, I'm not a pre and post game. Uh, we just had a, uh, Ray Dittiger on and he does a post game show for the Eagles. And uh, I, I do watch That's that show. show, but I'll be honest with you. I, I, you know, I bet I haven't seen in all the years I've been either working or doing watching games. I bet I haven't seen ten pregame shows of anything, anything. I don't care whether it's the National Football League, whether it's college football, whether it's pro basketball. I don't care what it is. I don't watch it. I, I don't because I think it's ridiculous. Most of it is. You got four guys or five guys, or the, the, in college football, you got that clown putting headsets on. Who the, I mean, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, you might as well be on Sesame Street if you're going to do all that stuff. So I, I don't watch it. I don't have any interest in it. Well, let me ask you this. I meant to talk about this earlier, uh, and, and Doug, I have two questions. Number one, uh, do you get to see NBC Sports Washington? Do they do a pregame uh, uh, or or for yeah, the Ravens I mean, or whatever they, it is? They do. I mean, here obviously in Frederick, I'm getting a lot of the Redskins or Washington football team. I apologize. Uh, a lot of their stuff, so I don't I don't particularly tune into that. That's one of the main reasons why I bought uh, the NFL Sunday ticket so that I can ensure the fact that I could watch the Ravens. Right. Well, the other thing is the uh, the 76ers announced uh, shortly after the Milwaukee Bucks announced that they're play-by-play. We're getting the tick-tick-tock, boys. We'll talk about the young lady coming in to do the 76er games next week as we continue conversations about pre-game, post-game, and game. Have a great week. Doug, Doug, thank you very, very much. It was once again a great pleasure. And Frank, another great job behind the, uh, the dials. Roger, we'll talk a little bit later. I don't know where Tommy was. I didn't know whether he was here or not. 
and uh, we'll see you all next week. Okay, Frank, is uh, you're the master. Thanks for everything. Okay, guys, take care. Thanks a lot, Doug, Doug for being so prepared with every week. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please, please take the time to let them know that you know they're there. It's very special times for everybody in uniform, very dangerous times for men and women in uniform. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives on a duty, Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Kolkap. Patrolman David Curtis, Sergeant Thomas Bager, Patrolman Jeffrey Aswich, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Rick Childers, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, uh, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Lieutenant J- Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Char- Sar- Chris Levesque, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Mike Malik, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, Patrol Deputy Anafa uh, Crispin, uh, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrolman Josh, I'm sorry, uh, Deputy Josh Moyers, Newcastle New S- Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Uh, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Uh, Deputy Abel Rodriguez, uh, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogo, Longwood Bay Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. ST, FDLE Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time you'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, and the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hands. Good night, and God bless, and have a nice week. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
All units be advised, 1999's response was last emergency. May God rest his soul. Bob, we love you, we miss you.